reached out. Well, that looks very nice. Did you have to, did they go buy these or did you guys bring these from home? Those are very healthy. We did our due diligence. We're safe. Are we just gonna are we just gonna start singing or are you gonna welcome? Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good. It's good to see y'all. It's a nice sunny morning. Um, hope everybody's doing well. If you want, we'll stand up. We'll pray and praise God. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. May it be a great morning for you and your kingdom. May there be growth in all of us as we grow closer to you as believers, as our church as brothers and sisters, so we just uh, pray for these songs. May they be a joyful, joyful noise to your ears. Pray for the message today. Pray for Leonard as he preaches. Pray for us as we hear your word. Uh, let it move in us and 
pray for the gathering after, that it's just a, a great time for fellowship, that we can all be together, and you know, we just give you this time, Lord, we love you and we praise you. take one minute and do something we haven't done for a while. Uh-oh, that's right. Oh, you, you want to go ahead and tell everybody? <laughs> a little greeting time. Just say hi to somebody. 
going to get turned into the health department. <laughs> it was a spreader of it. song. You can, you can keep greeting if you want. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine Oh of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior. This is my story, 
This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? I really like the, uh, the part about uh, greeting one another and just getting a chance to do that again. It's, um, it's been a long time, and uh, it's kind of fun to get back into the habit of just being together, isn't it? And, um, of course, uh, sun is shining. It's Super Bowl Sunday if you're, a, if you're a football person, which I can tell there's a number of you out there that are. Um, and some of you, you know, you're sporting uh, Steelers gear. And, and we got, we have Pat Franks with her official, official Kansas City uh, Chiefs hat. Uh, so take a look at that. Uh, Pat uh, is in the, um, she, she's in the market for a new boyfriend. Um, uh, her, her boyfriend, Tom Brady, is retiring. So when she grows up, she's, she was going to marry him, and then he's gone now. So she's, she's looking, just saying. So if you need, know any professional NFL quarterbacks out there, she's, uh, she's available. So uh, that's pretty cool, right? Who, who else are we representing here? Is that, that's pretty what, – what do we got? Buccaneers, okay. So we got the Bucks, and we've got Cleveland, of course. And um, any Chicago Bears people here? Yeah. Nobody. Well, that's dis disappointing, I guess. That's why I just didn't even bother wearing anything, because nobody cares. Uh, but I used to care. I really did. Used to care. I, every Sunday afternoon, I'd come home from church, and I'd turn the Bears on, and I'd just fall right asleep to the football game. It was great. Um, but uh, it, it is kind of fun to have this uh, winter part of the, the, the winter festival rhythm of having uh, Super Bowl uh, uh, experiences. And, of course, we're gathering for a brunch right afterwards. So we're hoping that everybody can join us downstairs in the fellowship hall. And uh, we can just carry on with the fellowship because uh, that's vital to our morale and our well-being and just getting to know people. You know, it's, a, it's amazing. I'll talk to people and they'll be like, um, I don't know so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, how can you not know them? But, you know, I forget I'm the pastor. I, I pretty much get to know everybody here. Not everybody is the pastor, so you don't get to know everybody. Um, so if you want to get to know everybody, um, there's a seminary down in Illinois you can go to and become a pastor, and you can do that. So I don't know if that's the best route or not, but perhaps if uh, you have um, uh, not the time constraints that would allow that, uh, then join us down there and meet some new people. Um, also, want to just uh, be praying. Uh, well, first of all, uh, you were given some information when you came in. We got a lot going on here, uh, and we're trying to we're we're not trying to stack stuff on top of each other as much as we are keep a rhythm going where we're engaging with different things that God can do in our church, whether they involve fellowship or whether they involve discipleship and building up one another, creating community, all those things that just lead to life and vitality and the health of a church. 
And of course, as that happens, we are putting our eyes on the community around us and we're asking the question, what is God calling First Christian to do in response to the needs that are happening in the community and in the, and in the larger framework, even as we think about uh, the, the tragic things that are happening, uh, have happened in East, East Palestine. Um, so we, we are always asking the question, Lord, what do you want us to do? And um, we've come alongside uh, different organizations, um, whether, you know, we're talking about um, uh, the Brightside Project and what they're doing to help people out, uh, Sam Food Pantry, um, and just others that we know that are equipped to handle uh, the needs uh, as they come up for some of these uh, very episodic things and chronic things as well. Um, so just keep that in mind. God is doing things in our church, through our church, and um, we're called to uh, engage with his leading. Uh, so that mini-sermon aside, I uh, also want to mention some prayer concerns. Um, uh, J- John Barrett, who's usually here, is in the, he's in the hospital. He's uh, got some breathing issues going on, so I don't know exactly uh, that, that occurred uh, late last night. So lift John up, uh, if, if you would. And um, also want to pray uh, for Liz Elias as she just goes through her journey of trying to figure out how to get healthy. And Jody Williams, uh, pray for him. And uh, let's see, I'm just trying to think if I'm uh, missing anybody here that we're uh, keeping lifted up in that, in that area. Um, I know that uh, Wendell has had his experiences and God's just carrying you along in, in his grace and mercy, which he does. And so grateful for that. Um, but uh, we have had a number of people struggling with cancer, and uh, we just want them to know that their church is lifting, keeping them lifted up. Do you guys have anything on your heart that we can pray for, or anything that is a, a matter of praise? Yeah, Lydia? In addition to John, he has blood clots in his lungs. Okay, yeah. Oh, did he? Okay. Well, John's... <laughs> pretty stubborn and ornery. So I don't think he's going to let a few blood clots in his lungs slow him down, Annie. Thanks for that update, though. Okay. Um, yeah, Diane? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Way to go. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, hopefully that helps, you know, a family that has had a lot of disruptions find um, a sense of God's grace flow into their lives. So that's wonderful. Because that happened right around Christmas, right, if I remember right? Yeah, Christmas Eve. So very, very, very difficult for that family. Okay, anything else? All right. Okay, Sammy's having her tonsils out. I don't know if you saw Sammy. Sammy spent seven hours doing that beautiful thing to her hair. Uh, So if you see her, yeah, she just looks absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, So if you see her, uh, just uh, tell her how much um, you appreciate her. Um, Okay, anything else? We're going to go ahead and pray and... um, take uh, this and a lot of things that are happening on, on a global scale and a local scale. I want us to just be in agreement on these things as we lift them up before the Lord and because we trust that if we pray about it, God will move in his way. And um, so let's just do that together, would you? Uh, bow with me. 
Lord Jesus, we are, are, are a grateful people because there is one defining feature uh, that should help us to stand out from, from perhaps everything else. And that is we have your joy in our hearts. And it is something that uh, you cultivate within us. You nurture it. You, um, you weed it. You garden it. You try to keep it alive so that when people see us in the joy that we have, in the circumstances, no matter what they might be, uh, there is a living reality inside of us. And your spirit enables that and empowers it. And hopefully it draws people into you as they see you in us. And we want to keep that alive and we want to tend to that responsibly so that uh, of all the people, uh, unless these things weren't true, uh, we would be the most to be pitied. But the reality is, Lord, um, this has been going on for 2,000 years where people under conditions that are more favorable than the ones we have and profoundly less favorable and everything in between. They've said, um, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I thank you, Father, as we just see that and come together uh, in that. I also pray, Father, that as we uh, look at the broader horizon of our community and what is happening uh, in East Palestine, we pray that whatever those needs are within um, those uh, very disrupted lives, we ask that uh, you would meet every one of them and that in the aftermath of something very toxic, that you would just uh, put your angels around every person in that community and that you would keep them uh, from harm and that you would bring resolution to those things that need to be mediated at this point and uh, you would help lives to return back to a sense of normalcy again. So just bless, bless that community, bless those who lead there, bless the churches that serve there, and all the people that see pathways of need and are responding accordingly. And uh, help us, Father, to see how it is that you continue to lead us into that. And we pray also for people in Turkey who have gone through untold devastation of their families, of their communities, and it's hard to even catalog in our minds, Lord, uh, just the significance of what that has been for uh, all of the people that um, have lost loved ones and have uh, seen their, their world dramatically change in an instant. Uh, so please be with the brothers and sisters in the faith there who are supporting and who are witnessing to and who are sharing and who are helping uh, those who are living in the wake of that devastation. Um, and we pray, Father, that as um, we consider those things, we, we, we pray that we would move into a new season where the leadership of, of, of our country and the countries around the globe would, um, would, be, would take those things on their hearts that are, 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 are perhaps selfishly directed, and they would have a sense, rather, of your justice and your truth and doing things that are for the best interest of the people that they serve. So we pray for good and capable leaders to be able to um, keep uh, the society as they rule and as they govern healthy. And as, um, as we just um, lift up our, our, our president and our government and our congressmen and all the way down to the local region, 
where we have oversight. We pray that in each of those cases um, that uh, your peace would prevail and your wisdom and your deep conviction regarding their stewardship would be upon them. And as we uh, lift up these things, trusting, Father, that in this world we know through what your Son told us that we would have trouble. But we take comfort in knowing that he promised that he has overcome this world. And there is something that is a larger reality that in cases our own that uh, we live in. And by faith, we trust in the promises that point us there. And so I pray for our church that we could um, uh, put one foot into the realities of the things that are from heaven and another foot into the realities of the moment that you placed us in and be able to bridge those two things together in a way that your redemptive purpose can come alive. I just ask, Father, that you help us to continue to grow as a body of people, to grow personally, and in many ways you're just looking at our hearts and you're calling up things that don't fit for all of eternity and you're helping us to deal with them in a way where we replace those things with your goodness and the things that are, 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 are of you and of your, of your creational purpose. And Father, it's so, uh, it's so comforting to know that as we pray, words just don't hover in the air and then die, but rather they're received in heaven by your very throne room through one who is our great high priest, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our advocate. As we gather, we know we are a people that um, we can be wayward, we can be at times challenging, we can be stubborn, we can be willful, but you, Lord, see us and you love us because you made us. And thank you for restoring us through your Son. And Lord, as we just take the summary of all the things that are happening event-wise and place them at your throne, we also look at the people in the lives of of our church who are struggling, those with cancer, those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, those who are celebrating birthdays, and those who are everywhere in between. We are uh, a people that at any given moment have a need for you in our lives, either a need for your provision or a need for us to celebrate what we have in you. And thankfully, we can do that uh, together. So please receive that as well in the lives that we're lifting up the names we've mentioned, and then help us to attune our hearts and our minds to you as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, we are in the book of John, and we're going to be concluding here pretty soon. Um, next week, we will have our Youth Sunday, which is going to be just awesome. Uh, Miss Amy uh, has, been, has been planning and preparing this with the kids, and uh, you know the rest of us in our role have been trying to support that. And uh, really looking forward to that. And then after that, on the 22nd, guess what? Did I hear Lent? Lent begins. Okay, that's, that's a big deal. Um, it, is, it is really the church's opportunity 
to anticipate Easter and the resurrection and the hope that we have, but we do that as we, um, as we take the journey through Lent to that place. And one of the ways that we deeply appreciate what Jesus has done for us is to know in contrast what he had to go through to get us there. And we'll be offering a Lent guide uh, which basically centers on that very thing. And it helps us to just be attuned to the significance of what Jesus did for you and I, for the world, and then how Jesus overcame and brought something to bear upon our lives that we could never find anywhere else but through him. And I'm really excited about it. I'm, 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 I'm finishing up the writing for that uh, and uh, just pretty stoked about how the storyline has unfolded as we go through Luke 20 through 24 in, 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 in following Jesus from his time in Jerusalem as he's drawn into an altercation to the point where spiritual, religious, and political forces are out to kill him to the point where he overcomes on, uh, on that su- Sunday morning with an, em- with an empty tomb and the, and the message that um, eternal life has, has, has been, has been uh, gifted to us through him. Uh, so we're, I'm just so excited I can't even talk. Um, so anyway, um, because we're going into that, um, so much of what we're studying in John actually feeds into that as well, and that's how God tends to orchestrate things. And uh, what we're going through today um, really is part of that backstory. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And there's two stories in John 3 that are important. And John is very careful about setting up the writing of his gospel the way he does. And one of the things that he does is he puts things in contrast, like the, the old and the new, the light and the dark, the good and the bad, the, the evil and um, the godly. And you see John going back and forth between those two ways of looking at and experiencing life. And in this case, uh, you know, we had John chapter 2 where you have Jesus beginning his ministry. One talks about a wedding, another talks about a temple, and it's sort of like they're contrasted together in a way that's artful and beautiful, but memorable as well. And chapter 3 is no different. There are two characters in chapter 3. One of them is Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He is a well-trained person who understands the backdrop of the storyline of the Bible. And then you have another person who is not even from this country. She's a Samaritan, and she meets Jesus at the well. And one is, takes place at night in the darkness, and one takes place in broad daylight. And that's no accident. And interestingly enough, you would think the religious person of all people would approach Jesus in the broad daylight to talk about the thing that is on his heart. But oddly enough, he's the one who kind of skulks about at night and then meets Jesus off in the shadows. As the person who is going to be um, uh, talked about next by John is the gal that has a lot of skeletons in her closet. She's got a lot of baggage, and of all the people, you think she would be the one hiding in the shadows. But because of what Jesus means to her, she is unashamed. And there's just something beautiful about that. We're going to look at the religious guy skulking in the darkness a little bit, who's asking questions, and God's really working on his heart. 
And he may be working on your heart as well as we go through these stories because there's a lot about the way the Bible is written that says your life actually can overlay over these stories in a way that we can relate to what God is doing. And that's how God works. He shows us characters that you and I can relate to, and he says, yeah, does that kind of resonate with you a little bit? And if you're like me, sometimes it resonates a little too much. And I always get nervous when I read the parts about the religious people because, well, guess what I do for a living? You know, right? So I, I, I'm like, okay, this is, this is scary. Um, but um, the good thing is uh, Jesus came filled with truth, but he was also filled with grace. And those two things go together when he comes into our world and he speaks a good word to us because his motive is always love. Well, with that said, um, here's what John writes. He says, um, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That is, it wasn't like he was the, the, the king or anything. It just meant that he was responsible for um, uh, the stewardship or the shepherding of their spiritual lives. Um, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you, uh, or God is with him, rather. And Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus is kind of setting him up because of all the people, the guy that went to church his whole life doesn't seem to qualify for what Jesus is talking about. And this is a little bit of a head-scratcher for Nicodemus. And so it provokes more questions on his behalf about who Jesus is and what difference he makes. And I think sometimes when Jesus comes into your life and my life, somewhere on the timeline where we're just sort of kicking the tires a little bit, um, he, he tells us things that are just the right things that we need to hear that provoke us. And that's exactly what he's doing um, with this, uh, this leader uh, amongst the Jewish people known as Nicodemus. So the story picks up a little bit more here as we, as we um, uh, go to the next question. So Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Let that soak in for a minute. Can he have a second time into his mother's womb and, 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 come and, and be born again? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, not enter the kingdom of God, that which is born of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is lost at this point. Why? <clears throat> well, here's the thing. Nicodemus grew up in a culture that was Jewish, meaning they were Israelites. And their belief was that Yahweh had delivered them out of Egypt, and they became a nation, and they were a chosen nation, and, he, and Yahweh was their God, and everybody else had their own gods, but Yahweh has us. And then, if you were a male, it was even better. And this was a Jewish prayer 
It's not a prayer that I'm advocating, but it was a prayer that was um, <clears throat> spoken by, by Jewish men and especially religious leaders. They thank God every day for three things. God, I thank you that I am, that I am, not, a, um, that I am not a Gentile. I thank you, God, that I am not a slave. And I thank you, God, that I was not born a woman. Okay? So that's very provocative language in this day and age. But that was the sense that there was this contrast happening in the minds of men who were religious, that they had a special status. And that the other people, well, they had a lesser status. And the way it was designed um, seemed to be unfavorably tilted towards them. What's so fascinating is how the Gospels are told one after another that reclaim the status not only of the Gentiles, not only of the slaves, but also of women. And of all things, in this, in this portrait, there's a guy who prayed that prayer every day, and um, he doesn't look so good. <clears throat> and then there's a gal who didn't pray that prayer, but was the recipient of the bad news of that prayer. And uh, all of a sudden, good things happen, and she tells everybody the good news, which seems to happen a lot in Scripture with, with the women that show up, which we see. And Jesus is trying to show that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but we are one new humanity in Christ with different giftings. Now, that's not to negate the fact that um, guys have t testosterone and women have estrogen, and that does affect how we relate and nurture and how we develop families and all that stuff. There's no question about that. It's by design. But as we function together as a church family, we look at it a little bit differently where we're looking at giftings and we're looking at callings and we're looking at how God is making us on earth as it already is in heaven, that new humanity. And of all the people that he has to start with, it's this guy. And you know, sometimes I think the hardest, hardest thing to learn is when somebody tells you something about something that you know really well, that you are a professional in, and they come along and they tell you, hey, guess what? Your, idea, your ideas aren't exactly the right ideas. How would you like in the job that you had or have somebody come up to you and say, you know what, I know you've been doing this for 25 years, but there's actually a better way. How do you think that's going to be received? I thought so. We just don't get good at that. But Jesus came into the, into the picture in a way that because he was from heaven, not from any other place, the message that he brought was quite revolutionary. Even though it resonated so much with things that they had already heard in the past, he embodied it in a way that brought it a new kind of life and power. And he was saying to people, of all people, the religious people, guess what? You guys, you guys have been following the wrong script for a long time, and I need to set you straight. And uh, that wasn't setting too well. But there were some people like Nicodemus who was saying, you know what? I've kind of felt like the script that we've been following hasn't really been the best. And... Um, but I've never seen anybody say, hey, I've got a better one that uh, says it in a way that you say it. Now, i got a problem here because I am a committed Pharisee. I am a person of, of role and responsibility and, to some degree, prestige. And if I am found, found out that I am asking questions that pertain to my curiosity about how you could be the Messiah, 
well, guess what? I'm going to get canceled. And that's going to affect a whole lot of moving parts of my life. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. But here's the interesting thing. If you decide to make Jesus your Lord and Savior as a human being in 2023, there are parts of your life that will get canceled. I'm just going to assure you that. Not everybody's going to be on board with this decision to do something so dramatic that when they see you after that decision, the change is so palpable that they're like, you're not the same person anymore. And they might think, you're not as fun anymore. I don't know. Hopefully they can say, you're actually, I like you now. Whatever the case may be, people kind of get used to you being you the way you've been. And when you say, I have to be born again, I'm at a place where my life has, I am stuck. And I've pretty much tried a lot of things up till now to move my life forward, but it would appear that my life still is not going anywhere. And I really feel like Nicodemus was sensing that. And I feel like there was something inside of him that was creating a lot of conflict and turmoil that the conviction of what Jesus said hit him so hard in his gut that he knew that a change would have to happen. And he was struggling to let go. So he's asking some pretty hard-hitting questions, and Jesus is coming back with answers that, well, they're, they're not really making sense. Okay, I get baptism, because the Pharisee actually baptized people before Jesus was baptized by John. That was the thing. He baptized people to basically clean them up for religion, okay? So there's a way of saying, you're clean now, you're purified. But what Jesus does is he takes that baptism a step further and says, I don't know if you remember back in Ezekiel 36, this would be what he'd say to them, because I, you know, if you ask me, do you remember what? I'd say, yeah, I know I'm, I should know, but I don't. But I do know this one. In Ezekiel, it talked about the fact that uh, the Israelites had turned their hearts away from God towards idols and towards the beings that are behind those idols. And God calls them back, and he says, something's going to happen to you, but at the same time, something's going to happen inside of you where you're going to have such a change of heart about how you look at things, you'll be shocked to see how much your perspective on everything dramatically shifts. And uh, that was the promise in, in, in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. And Jesus knew what that meant because he was the one bringing what that meant. But the problem with people like Nicodemus was they found some scriptures that resonated with the way their life is that they started to teach and map it out in such a way that basically they lost the storyline. They did find a lot of scriptures that would kind of validate, well, things like um, uh, making excuses for uh, what, what we're going to read in the Lent devotional for um, scribes and the religious elite to make laws that would actually cause widows to lose their homes. But they do it in a righteous way because, because they can work the law in a way to justify their greed. And essentially, that's what he saw the religious people doing. It was well-intended, but what happens is if you lose the storyline you start kind of 
making up the storyline regarding where your heart wants to go, and you'll find scriptures that will just back that up. And you can take anything out of context and make it say whatever you want. Maybe you've heard the, about the guy who, you know, when he, when he opened up the Bible and he said, um, he said, you know, I just open up the Bible and I'll pick a verse and then I'll open it up and I'll pick another verse and then that's God speaking to me today. And so a guy opened up the Bible and he found a verse and he said, um, Judas hung himself. And then he rolled it over to another page and he found another verse and said, go and do likewise. And, and so, you know, that, that's, sort, that's sort of where that goes. Uh, you can't just do that and, and, and make up your own story. And Jesus understood that that really was kind of how these guys operated. And so he's telling them, uh, yeah, you need to be washed, no question about it. And baptism is a way of symbolizing the dramatic turn of events whenever you ask God for forgiveness and he cleanses you. Baptism is a way of saying, okay, now I'm made clean so that I can be filled with something new. And that something new, the book of Acts tells us right out of the gate, that uh, people repented, they were baptized, and in Acts 2, in Acts 2 3 it says, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is essentially where Jesus is pointing, because down the road, followers of Jesus are going to have dramatic changes occur in their lives because they recognize the substance of what's happening here. So they identified with this death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, and then in, um, in the power of the Spirit, their lives began to move in a way that they never thought possible and never really would say, yeah, I can't believe that I'm here. And truth is, you know, if I were to say to the 19-year-old version of Leonard, hey, guess what? You'll be at uh, 59, so 50 years later, is that right? No. Okay, I'm also losing it too. Um, so 40 years later, you will be uh, preaching to a congregation of people and you'll be writing stuff about, about the Lord and you'll be doing stuff and I'll be like, no. Nah. That's just weird. But that's how God works. And uh, he's trying to tell Nicodemus with language that he hopes he will comprehend that. But essentially what he's telling Nicodemus is this. You've been doing it a certain way, and in a lot of ways it's been good, but in other ways it's not good enough to keep going forward. And... I don't know about you, but any big changes in life can be pretty traumatic. Um, yesterday we had a, a change in life, and I didn't really think much about it, but uh, uh, we, um, we, we sold our, our, our forerunner. And as I was walking away from it, I almost started to cry. And I'm like, why are you upset, Leonard? And then I was, you know, driving back with my wife after dropping the car off, and I'm like, I just don't feel right. Just, I'm not right in my head right now. I don't know what's going on. She said, you're grieving. I said, am I? And I said, well, why? Because for seven years in the, in the, in the developmental cycle of our children, we had a lot of things happen through that car. Been all over the country in it. We got stories I mean, one of them I just love to tell because uh, it's not me, 
but I probably would have done something dumber, was, was Christian went to the Platte River whenever he was studying the Volga people in Kansas. So, yeah, I don't know where he got that nerdism from. But, uh, but he goes to the Platte River, and he pulls the uh, forerunner too close, and, the, and it starts to suck him in, and he gets stuck. And uh, he tells us this after the fact. Then he walks back to town two miles, and the only thing that's available in Kansas is a bar, and he walks in, and he tells the dudes in there, hey, I'm, I'm stuck. Can you guys come and help me out? And, of course, you know, everybody's got a truck, and they're like, yeah, we'll get you out. So they go, and they, they, they pull him out, and uh, it's all good. And he comes home, he tells me the story, and I'm like, that's great. I said, um, so uh, did, did you put in four-wheel drive? And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I just mean it saved you some walking. And I, I just will never let him live that down. Um, but, you know, you, you associate meaning with objects sometimes in a way that it's hard to let them go. And I'm like, I, I don't want to let go of this thing. But I also, you know, I'm not the accountant, so, you know, you got to let go of some things. And, you know, so we were, we were pivoting away from that car, and I'm like, what is it about having to let go of stuff? It's so hard. But then as I'm turning from the forerunner to the Dodge Charger, I, I forget about the forerunner. <laughs> and and, and that's kind of true. Um, but the reality is Jesus is saying, you think this is so sacred and so important, the way that you've established your life and these things right now, but there's also something in you that says it's not enough to keep going. And at 197,000 miles, you can't keep going indefinitely in that car. It's, it's time to move on. And essentially, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you need to move on. You're ready, but you're not ready. And the thing you need to wrap your mind around is that what I am offering you in terms of a vision for a better way that you don't have language for yet, but there's something in your gut says, I know that's got to be true, but I got a whole lot of conflicts back here because if I choose you, my world just goes into total reorganization in ways that I don't know how the, it's going to even fall out. And Jesus said, um, let's go ahead and pick up the story a little bit in this night exchange in the shadows. He said, um, do not, mar- do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. If the wind blows um, where it wishes and you hear the sound, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born with the Spirit. That's kind of a strange statement that uh, scholars have kind of wrestled with, and they're asking, you know, what, what does this mean? But I, I think it means this, because the book of Acts really does comment on this. As the lives unfold, basically, people now are living in a space where they are going and doing things that they never thought they would ever do. They're telling people about the good news. They're seeing Jesus work through their lives. They're gathering in a spirit of unity. They're able to serve and help people in their community. And they're just doing stuff that, as an individual, they said, my life would have been so boring had we not started doing this. And somehow the Spirit is just moving us into this. 
And I honestly think that's what he's doing, is he's calling Nicodemus to recognize that when you are baptized, sure, you are clean now, and what fills that space is something that will change you from the inside out. And, you know, you've heard me say it time and time again, but it bears repeating every time I say it, that the evidence of the Spirit in your life can be a lot of things, some which are dramatic, but in the day out, day in and day out, when you see somebody who didn't have these qualities have them, you know something is going on in here. And those are the qualities of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, those are just words, perhaps, to you, but if you let them sink in a little bit, those words start to take on deep meaning. Because there's a lot of us, before we were characterized by those things, as the Spirit kind of took hold of us, that it was more like anger, jealousy, rage, lust, covetousness, greed, selfishness, and just on and on when we're just powered by our own battery. And Jesus is trying to show Nicodemus that there will be a change inside of you that will make everything that you work so hard to establish religiously just not even seem interesting anymore, except for the things that perhaps overlap with God's agenda. And and I believe that's true. Because I, I think that what he's trying to show him is not saying, well, there's a part of you, we just got to activate that and you'll be good. Or there's an idea, and if you start functioning based on that idea, it'll be good. No, he's telling him the change happens not through a thing or an idea or what's already inside of you. The change happens because now you are associated relationally with the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. There's something about the connection that you have with God relationally that changes. And it's true in some ways with any relationship. Demographers will even say that you and I are the sum total of the seven, six people we spend the most time with. I mean, we just, we influence each other that way. And Jesus said, I want to be one of those six people, and I want to be a primary person to influence how you look at life. And as your friend, as your shepherd, as your savior, I want to also show you that I can bring something special into your life that you couldn't get from any other relationship. And it's empowering. And Nicodemus is still scratching his head. Well, so it it unfolds a little bit more in this conversation at night. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and 
you don't even understand that. You don't believe. How can I tell you the things that come from heaven? And essentially, Jesus has a tone of a little bit of frustration because there's a little bit of stubbornness there. And Nicodemus isn't entirely teachable. And he's saying, you're asking me kind of a dumb question like, what, do I go back into my mom's womb at uh, 30, start over? And I I don't think Jesus had time for that. And he said, no, it's a metaphor. (laughs) It means that there is no language for what heaven is going to do to you except earthly language. But it's good enough to get you where you need to go. And there's a lot of things in the Bible, especially John, that are really signals and symbols and metaphors that aren't imaginary made-up stuff, but they are just Earth's way of trying to find language to access the heavenly. God struggled with that and struggled with that and struggled with that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years until finally he said, the best way that I can do this is to just go to the ground level and walk around and rub shoulders and laugh and cry and struggle, be frustrated, but at the same time, having access to the Father being able to have that spiritual reality come alive in my life. And he showed us that. And Nicodemus is really struggling with this. So then John goes on to, to, to write. Um, he said, no one has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now Nicodemus is really scratching his head. You're like, Jesus, couldn't you sort of spell that out a little bit more for him? But here's what I think happened. I think this is a slowly detonating spiritual bomb that's going to go off in his head. Because he's going to be thinking about this. What does he mean by this stuff? Son of man being lifted up. What does he mean by spirit and baptism in that way? What does he mean by um, you must be born again? Because there's nothing worse than not having your question answered. Have you, ever asked, have you ever had somebody you went up to and you've asked them a sincere question and they turned around and they just gave you another question? Isn't that irritating? Unfortunately, unfortunately, you and I, I I would hope all of us, worship a Savior that that's what he did repeatedly. I think 187 times (laughs) he responded to people's questions with another question. And it wasn't because he didn't want to be the answer man, but rather he understood that a lot of things in life you got to marinate on before you see it. I can tell you, but if you don't marinate on it a little bit, you're never going to see it. And I think that's why, overall, he asked 307 questions throughout the whole time that we read about him in the Gospels. He's getting us to think about stuff. And 
Well, the question is, did he think about it? I got to wonder. Because this guy has even more conflict happening now. Because not only does he think that Jesus might be the one, but now Jesus is telling him some stuff that he can't wrap his mind around. And so he just sort of hangs around in the backdrop of the story. And we read in, in, in John chapter 7, he's in a meeting, a business meeting with other religious leaders. And they're saying, we have to do something about this Jesus. He's creating such a disruption on the social front that um, we're going to get in trouble. Romans are going to get mad. The religious authorities are going get to get, get, get upset at the temple. And our people are getting confused. We need to get rid of him. And here's what Nicodemus says. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? He doesn't come out and say, hey, guess what? I think he is the Messiah. Let's talk about it. He just asks the question, uh, does, does the law condemn a man? Um, shouldn't we listen? Shouldn't we just kind of hear him out a little bit? And there's a couple of things here that uh, I think we, we have to consider. One is... Um, if you're going to really be serious about following the truth, you, you may have to listen a little bit to what Jesus says. Because one thing you don't realize is that Jesus listens to you more than you would ever know. His ear is always bent towards you. Because he knows you're caught up in some stuff that you need saved from if you haven't been already. And he is just waiting for that opportunity. And so listening is a big part. To listen is to love. And we, we, we've covered that a little bit in a prior message. But what also is happening here is he's starting to kind of get it. But he doesn't quite have the courage to move on it. And most people I know who come to faith, a lot of them, they... It's a, it, there's a long timeline here. Somebody praying for you, somebody saying a timely word, somebody putting a John 3.16 at a football game, somebody just doing the right thing for you at the right time and connecting the right dots in a way that you're like, mm, there, there must be a God. And I think that's a lot of us. And the fact is God's not going to let go of showing up and nudging you until he has you. But he's never going to force you because he wants you to have a heart for him as much as he has a heart for you. And one of the things that people say about Nicodemus versus the Samaritan woman is that Nicodemus comes at night, meaning that um, he's hiding things. He's not ready to disclose things. He's not ready to be totally honest about things. Isn't that kind of where we are? Until we come to something called repentance, which isn't like a punitive catalog of all the things that I've I, I done bad, but rather it's just a way of saying I'm naming the things that are, that are not working in my life, that are not right with you, that are not right with the people around you, that are working against me and against my world. And Nicodemus is recognizing that. 
And it's interesting how John only mentions him one other time. And it was at the moment that everybody had abandoned Jesus, had written him off, and essentially said, well, he's crucified, and he died, and that's that. And Nicodemus could have just said, yes, it wasn't meant to be. But there was something about his attachment, not just to the ideas of Jesus, but to the person of Jesus that just pulled him in. Because the Scripture tells us in John 19 that when he's laying there dead, Nicodemus goes to the tomb. And even though he's dead, he could just say, forget it. He has this hope that somehow Jesus will be resurrected like all of them carried that hope. And he took 75 pounds of embalming spices and put over him, which is a heck of a lot of money. Because he had, that, he had developed an attachment to the person. He was grieving. And that's the way it works. You can come to church like Nicodemus did for years, and it's really about getting the right ideas in place so we don't dishonor God. Or you can let go of that, and you can say, I'm coming to church to worship you, Jesus. And then everything else kind of flows back into your life from there. And it took me a while to figure that one out too because I got pretty good at being Nicodemus for sure. I mean, I got a lot of education. But I could tell you honestly, I didn't have a lot of Jesus all the time. I didn't even have a strong attachment to him for periods of time. But there's something about seeing that helps you to recognize it's deeply personal with him. And you know what I find is when I pray, I see things happen. Because he's taught me to pay attention to that. And you see things happen. And you start to see things that you never saw before. And it's not you being just smart. It's just you seeing things through the vantage point of being connected to him. You start to see as he sees. And you start to know as he knows. And that's very biblical. And I'll just end this by saying there are forces at work in your world that are keeping you from him. And I'm just going to name the ones inside and the ones outside, and then I'm basically done. And that is Nicodemus, like all of us, has internal things happening. There are versions of himself that say, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to be a good Pharisee. And I also want to keep my status in the community. And I also have just my own selfish desires. And all of these sub-personalities of who I am, well, they're not meshing together very well. I got a lot of wills here. And then there's another part of me that just desires to do things for myself, sometimes at the expense of other people. And I'm not sure if this is one of them when it comes to you, Jesus, uh, because it will be at the expense of other people. And then the other times it's selfish and it actually has an impact on their well-being more than I even realized. And then there are other desires that um, I have for my community, some of them noble, some of them, you know, who knows. 
And then there, there are needs. I need, I need food. Sometimes if I don't have it, maybe I'll have to steal. I need security. That is, I got I to gotta feel safe. And I got to have lots and lots of money to feel safe. And I'm perhaps going to pursue that even more than you, God, because I got to be secure. And then there's a part of me that says identity. So I got to be this person projecting this persona to the people around me so that I can feel like that's who people think I am. And there's just a whole lot of things in that mix that you see up there that make up you and I. And the Bible uses sort of a a catch-all word called sin whenever it deviates from God's purpose. But the reality is it's just aligning our lives with him in a way that we're kind of integrated rather than disintegrated. And we're living in a moment where people are disintegrating and there is only one integrating place you can go, and it's him. He orders our lives together for a purpose, Ephesians 1.10. And he knows this is happening, and he's come to save us from our own waywardness. And some of us have been taught to believe in the church that it is just me as a sinner before God, and, well, I need saved, and that's that. But I, I have to assure you something. The Bible says, yes, that is a part of the pie for sure. But there's another part of the pie that you better consider carefully because it is a part of the pie that's keeping you there, and that's the external stuff. So the external stuff have an effect on how you and I make decisions about life that impact our connection to God. And sometimes, you know, we're connected to groups of people that are not connected to God in any way, and that causes us to be kind of divided. There are expectations from our culture that, honestly, I, I sometimes feel like I just, I just I'm, I'm going to be over here sidebar in my own little mini culture because I don't even get the world now. I tried doing TikTok videos a while back, and I'm like, everybody's talking about TikTok, and I'm, two hours later, I'm just scrolling through mind-numbingly, and then I step back, and I'm like, Leonard, what, what did you just do? What, what, what did you gain from that? Is just, it was just sort of candy for the eyes enough that I'm like, but I got nothing out of that. I almost feel hypnotized. And stuff like that in our culture that I feel like doesn't do our humanity good. But the thing that really concerns me is the last one. Because Paul talks about, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the stuff in the first slide, but against the powers and the principalities and the forces of darkness in the unseen realm. John will say this, Satan is the prince of this world. He's defeated, but he's got everybody bamboozled to think that, no, there's, a still, there's still a war going on, I'm going to win. And if he keeps you in those lies... Believing that you don't need Jesus, well, then you live under his domain. That's the bottom line. And the one thing that Paul says and Jesus talks about and is clear in Scripture is that God transfers us out of this domain of darkness into his kingdom. And I'm not making this up. It's in Colossians 1.13. We read these words. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. 
not just our own sinfulness, but from the house that we were living in that was keeping us locked in, locked in that prison. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved son. Now, you can work hard and try to be good for God all day long, but unless you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not consenting to God to take you into his kingdom. You're just saying, I believe, but um, I don't give you my life. And every believer who is baptized through the good confession of faith and moves forward from that into the family of God is transferred. There is a change. There are some places that you go that you know you shouldn't be there because they start to affect everything that you do and think and behave because the environment is just charged with that kind of energy. And there are other places that you go, hopefully a church that is not charged by that kind of energy, but is charged by the energy of the presence of God, that you walk out of there and you say, that was life-giving. But unless you've committed yourself to Christ, you'll go back out there and you'll be reclaimed by that which is your domain. And when I preach the gospel that Jesus is Lord, I'm telling you, there's another domain that he's calling you into that changes you in terms of the space that you live in and the effect that it has on you. And, then the, and in that domain, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and works out. I, I can't really describe the experience to you. You have to experience it yourself. I can only tell you that is the way it is. That is the way it is. And you are either in one domain or you are in the other domain, and the way you know is by the fruit. And sometimes Christians, they start to consent to that other domain all over again. And then they're hugely divided. And sometimes Christians say, I, I surrender all to you, Lord Jesus. I, I have no other place to go. I have no other place that brings me life and joy like the place that is centered in you. And we pray not that you'll just hear the substance of the message and you'll be affected, but that God's Spirit will be at work in you to bring about that desire to choose Jesus. And if he's doing that, I'm telling you, there is a domain keeping you captive. And there's another domain that says, we're here to set you free. And I would love it if every person that came into this church building would take those steps into that space and be set free in our Lord Jesus. Well, we're going to pray as we end this part of our message time. And I'm just going to ask God to work in your hearts. And we're going to move into communion as we transition from the message to the prayer. And we're going to take time as a covenant community to align our hearts and our minds
with the things of God. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we are thankful that as you came, you offered yourself in a way that is deeply personal. You embodied the realities that you preached, and you showed us in so many ways how it is that those are realities from heaven take effect in our lives here on earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just show us a way, but by virtue of that relationship that we have with you, we are empowered for that way. I pray for those in this room who are divided in their hearts and their minds regarding their allegiances. I pray that you would just call that up and bring clarity regarding what's dark and what is light and what effect that has in all the life-giving elements of, of, of my life, Lord. And I pray, Father, for those of us in this room who are just moving more and more into that space where you embody our lives through your spirit and that we would trust the paths that you open up to be places where you want us to serve and bring you glory. And I pray, Father, for those who are leading in that way as they follow your leading, that you'd bless them. And thank you for what we've seen in our church as you've shown that to us through people that have had a heart for you. And continue to fan those flames, Lord, because we know that in you is life and life abundantly. And we know that darkness is just a counterfeit way of saying, hey, I got life too. But we also know it just dehumanizes when we walk into it. Give us the, the heart for those things that are of you. And just help us to move away from those things that take away from the life you call us to live in you. And I pray that for all of our people here. And I pray that as we take the loaf and the cup and we remember you, we're embodying the substance of your being through these symbols. A broken body on a cross that shows the depth of your heart for us. And as we take that, we know that part of you comes alive in us in ways that we don't fully understand. And as we take the cup and we remember all the bloodshed for sins, but also shed so that the death angel could pass over and we could have the gift of the promises to come. We thank you, Lord, in so many ways for the covenant that these represent. that are the relational agreement that define how we live in this space with you. So we surrender our hearts to you and we take the loaf and the cup and we remember you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. sing one more song together. Uh, if you got to get going or want to head downstairs and get a, a jump on the line, feel free, but we're going to sing together. You came to the world you created, trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died. Your innocent life paid the cost. 
Counting your status is nothing. The King of all kings came to serve. Washing my feet, covering me with your love. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. You are my life and my treasure, the one that I can't live without. Here at your feet, my desires and dreams I lay down. Here at your feet, my desires and dreams I lay down. If more of you means less of me, take Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Consume us, help us lay ourselves down and take more of you up every day. Just we praise you for this time together, uh, the joy that we have coming together, singing your songs and 
hearing your word. May we go from here and show you to everybody we can. Amen. All right. Uh, hope you have a nice week. Remember, there's food downstairs, Fellowship Hall. And go dig in. <laughs>